Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I'm going to speak about the humility of spirit or the spirit of humility. And I want to emphasize quite a number of things that I believe also will be a blessing to you this morning. I have said this many times that many people confuse the outward temperance or temperament with the humility of the spirit. Of course, the humility of the spirit could create an outward temperance, but not all outward self-control or temperance is because of a humility of spirit or a humble spirit, because we have seen people who humble themselves to get what they want because they know how to manipulate their way around life and those which are weak and gullible to find their way in life. However, when we're talking about the humble spirit, there are things that define this. The essence of that before God has innumerable, innumerable distinctions. And as I'm praying tonight and sharing with you, I believe that something is going to be planted in your heart today that is going to change your life because many people ask themselves questions and I believe that God has sent me to give answers to questions, especially the hardest sentences of life. Now, the Bible says in Psalms, the 10th chapter, the 17th verse, very powerful, very powerful portion of scripture. The Bible says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble and you will prepare their heart and you will cause your ear to hear. Somebody shout hallelujah. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed and so that man who is of the earth may not terrify them anymore. Now the psalmist, if you will read that from the Amplified, he is affirming the ear of God towards the desire of the humble and the oppressed. And he says, the one most powerful thing that he does with any man or woman who has cultivated the spirit of humility is that he prepares, number one, strengthens and directs their heart. There is nothing in this world as powerful as the positioning and direction of God in a man's life. It is one thing to walk with God, relate with God, but it's another for you to submit to the leading and direction of God. And he has said that the humility of the heart by God strengthens the heart of the man, prepares the heart of the man, and directs the heart of a man. So them which are weak in the heart, the Bible says God will strengthen because of the spirit or seed of humility. But most powerful as well, 
he speaks of how the heart of the humble is prepared. What is the preparation of God for? For you to live and walk in the things God has appointed for your life. We are all accorded a destiny and a journey, a course that everyone must go. The Bible says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I called you to be a prophet. But when God is dealing with us, he deals with us from the heart. It's not that which comes from without entering a man that defileth him. But the Bible says it's that which cometh from the heart. It says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. And he's giving you the antidote of guarding your life and your heart. He's saying, learn to humble yourself. Break before God. Be contrite. Be meek before God. He says, not only will he strengthen your heart in the times of testation and trouble, but he will prepare it for the destiny that it must go. He will prepare it for the greatness that is ahead of it. He will prepare it for the victory that is ahead of it. He will prepare it for the joy that is set before you. He will prepare you for the opportunities that have been arrayed for your destiny. He will prepare you for the testimonies that God has set before you. He will prepare you for the ministry that God has accorded to your life. He will prepare you for life. He will prepare you for life. That whatever comes, God has prepared you. Good or bad, God has prepared you. But in the preparation of God also is the dealing. It's what I call the chastising of the Spirit. Before we learn to walk in the realm of receiving, God chastises us. Because it's one thing for you to be given, it's another for you to receive. We all read that we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's the truth. You have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. And because His divine power is available within us, and because he has called us to glory and he has given us everything, there is nothing we should ask from God because he has given it. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is nothing you are believing God for that he has not already given. Align yourself and acquaint yourself to those things. To that consciousness that there is nothing that God has not given you already. The only challenge with the children of God is how to receive. He says, for if death reigned by one man, how much more they that receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness shall reign. I think one version says, shall rule as kings in life by one man, Jesus Christ. You see? But he says, how much more they that receive, not they that are given. We are given the abundance of grace. But not everybody has received. We are given the gift of righteousness, but not everybody has received. When Paul is weeping for the church, he bears them witness. He says, I feel sorry for my brethren, for I bear them a witness that they have a zeal, but not according to the knowledge of God. For they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they have gone ahead to establish their own righteousness. And because they've established their own righteousness, they have thrown away the righteousness which God has given them. Why would they establish their own righteousness if they knew that they had the righteousness of God or that if they knew how to receive the righteousness of God? So because they do not know how to receive the righteousness of God, the Bible says they go ahead and establish their own righteousness. And he says a very powerful word. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So that, in a way, is rebellion. 
But I believe that it is in that context, it's rebellion unintended. Because they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. If they knew, their zeal would be directed to receiving. So there are people who are zealous to receive. In prayer, they pray with zeal to take. In prayer, they pray with zeal to walk into the realities and promises of God. They have a zeal in prayer. They have a zeal in fasting. They have a zeal in seeding. You know, they quote the scriptures and some of which are put out of context. Oh, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent taketh it by force. So they're saying that they're fighting to take the kingdom of God, which is already given to them through faith. Since if you're casting out devils in my name, know that the kingdom of God is coming to thee since the days of John. You see? So the reality of the portion of scripture has to be understood. Was it spoken concerning the New Testament believer? Or if it is spoken to the New Testament believer, what is the interpretation of that scripture? Somebody shout hallelujah. So imagine God dealing with you as a child and he has given you everything and you're fighting in prayer to get what he has given you, yet he's saying the issue is not even, you shouldn't actually be fighting for this. You should actually just learn how to receive it. But many people do not know how to take hold. He says, take hold of eternal life. Lambanner it. Let your spirit catch it in the mighty name of Jesus. But what I'm saying here is that there is a disciplining of God. There is a chastising of God that is necessary to position you to receive the things that he has called you to do or to walk into. He speaks of the few days chastened after our own pleasure. But it was not for our profit. Somebody shout hallelujah. But if he is to discipline us with his own means and by his own purposes, then we are partakers, the Bible says, of his portion, his inheritance, his holiness, his glory, his power. Somebody shout hallelujah. All disciplining by God is for good. All chastisement is for good. Whether he will use your biological father, whether he will use your spiritual authority, all discipline is good if it is from God or from any ordinances or people that he has anointed in your way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. So the Bible says he disciplines us, so he chastens us for our profit. For our profit. There is no gain for him or glory for him except that you one day start walking in the truth and get a hold of the things that he has prepared for you. So when you're dealing with people, especially in church, who don't know how to be rebuked, they take rebuke unkindly, they cannot be corrected, you know, because they don't see the love of God, even through their own ministers, for their own profit. So they cannot produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them because they're not, the Bible says, exercised. It says no present chastening is joyous. It's not easy. But God will deal with us because he wants to get the best out of us and put the best for us. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he speaks of the preparation of the man's heart. Prepared for what? To enter what he has called you into. To enter into the glory that he has arrayed for you. And he says, this is important for you to note. That if you do not understand the humility of the spirit or the spirit of humility, it's going to be hard for God to prepare your heart. It's going to be hard for God to strengthen your heart. Because when a man's not humble, his heart is hardened. Scripture is clear. 
When a man's not humble, his heart is hardened toward the things of God. But also he says that he will direct the heart of the man. Not only is he preparing you for the things that he has called you for, but he says, I will create milestones. I'll give reference points for you so you don't miss the course as you enter or walk into what I have prepared you to enter into. What a God. What a God. But he says, but these things belong to the humble. It belongs to the humble. So if you are struggling in direction, if you are struggling in the preparation of the things of God, if your heart or spirit is weak, what God is trying to tell you here is humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. The spirit of humility is the spirit that has learned to entirely lean not only on God as the source of everything, but the instruction of God beyond any opinion or above any opinion. That's humility. That's humility. Do you know sometimes we impose our own opinions even when we know the will and purposes of God concerning our lives or some do it out of ignorance, so that's understandable because all they need is knowledge. But how many things have we done in the knowledge of those things but we still go ahead to justify our own opinions against the will of God either because we are deceived even with the knowledge that we have or because we simply have a very strong opinion that sometimes overrides the will of God. I'll give you a typical example. Typical example. The Bible says that he that hateth his brother murders him. The Bible has taught us against hate. It has taught us against hate. If a brother or a sister wrongs you, and then you go to God and pray about it, and then, you know, some of you are mature enough, you know, to even extend the sentence to this individual, you hurt me, you did this to me, but I have forgiven you. Or some are not even apologetic. You see what I'm saying? But when you go to God and seek his mind, why has this person done this? So I feel so broken hearted and da, 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 da. And from the onset, and God tells you, no, you know the word, 70 times, seven times you should forgive an individual, your brother or sister, if they wrong you. Okay, God, I forgive them. And some of you send out messages, which is a good thing. Some of you, it's hard because some of the parties that you have misunderstood with, some of them, even if you send a message, they might hurt you more. It depends on the circumstances that prevail. And then the next day they hurt you. You forgave them last time. And then you forgive them again. And then they hurt you again. And then one day you get to a point and say, I'm done. Done with what? Done with what? Forgiveness. You see? 70 times 7. But then you get so tired when then you say, you know what? I'm done. This is enough. You hear statements like enough is enough. So has God said that this is the last stroke for you and then you unplug and unforgive? No. He has said every day my mercies are new every morning and I expect you to continuously forgive that individual. So settle it in your heart that people will hurt you. 
but because you not only lean on me as your source, but you take every word of mine to its account, I expect you not to carry hatred in your heart. And somebody hears all of these things and still refuses to forgive. They know the truth, but they still refuse to forgive and let go. And yeah, sometimes we preach sermons to help people out, but some of the sermons that we preach, even though they are true, they're still not the essence of why people forgive. For example, somebody says, oh, you know, unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts the other. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a fact. But still not the reason why they should forgive, because some people are forgiving because they don't want to be hurt more than the one who hurt them. That's still the wrong reason why a man should forgive. A man should forgive because God told us to forgive. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So somebody continuously carries hatred. Carries continuously. That's setting yourself against the course of what you know to be true. And they don't go in the presence of God to say, I'm sorry, no. They continuously justify even that unforgiveness in their heart. Is some they don't put before God. No, I'm not talking about the person who has forgiven, but they're struggling to let go of the pain. That's another person. They're working process or progress. And they're saying, you know, God, I'm dealing with unforgiveness, but I know that you'll help me through this, and I know that somehow things will turn. But there are people who, when they get to God, they say, this, when you talk about Rachel, let's not even talk about that God eh? right now. Eh? Even in my prayer, I don't want to mention her because she brings back to me. Then they continue. Are you hearing me? They don't want to have certain conversations with God. You've heard of Christians who even have the audacity to judge God. If God was fair, why would he do this? Yeah, it's okay if the people in the world do it, but a believer, a born-again Christian, they're judging God. It's because some of them don't know. But it's another when you know. I know of a Christian who told another Christian brother, he says, I'll kill you and repent. Can you imagine? He told somebody, I will kill you and repent, and God will forgive me. And you know, this brother also feared and said, man, he told me, I just realized God actually would forgive the fool. <laughs> God would actually forgive the fool. You see? But you see how people think? How can you premeditate and say, I will repent. Let me mess this person up. Eh? I will repent. You understand? You see that attitude? You know? That conceives sin and dares to sin because it knows that repentance is available. Children of God, that's pride. Somebody shout hallelujah. When God consecrates you for the work he has called you, as you start to grow in the things of God and understand your purpose in life, and you start feeling the wings of responsibility before God come, and you feel him telling you that I've called you for something bigger than this, one of the things that God starts to deal with you, especially in hearing his voice, is to understand his leading, that direction, that preparation, that consecration, that sanctification. And he says here that you can only do that when you learn to walk in the spirit of humility. Somebody shout hallelujah. And why? Or how does God in the spirit of humility direct our paths? How does he prepare our hearts? How does he strengthen our hearts for the things that he has so arrayed for us to walk into? There are five things that he does, and all of which 
are the essence of humility. Number one. In Isaiah, the 57th chapter, the 15th verse, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy, he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He's speaking of the assurance of his presence to the man or woman which has learned to be humble before him. That's one of the reasons why you should walk in the humility of the spirit. Because God assures you his consistent and continuous presence. Assurance of his presence. He said that I dwell with him who is contrite and humble in spirit. Does that mean that he doesn't dwell in the rest who are believers? Yes, he dwells in them. But the literal translation there is that his activities are most revealed with them which humble themselves. Who understands what I'm saying? So, God is with us all. Yes. God is with us all. If you believe how God is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you. But that doesn't mean that God operates in you as much as he should. So, the difference between those who have God and those with whom God operates through is this humble spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. And there is nothing as redeeming to the heart as the assurance of God's presence. When you know that God is with you. See, when the Bible says, when you go through fire, I will be with you. Do you know what that means? When you go through waters, I will be with you. I'm your ever-present help in time of need. He's not only saying that I will be with you as you're going through the water, no, or the fire, no. Listen, he says, the waters, because I'm with you, his manifested power also affirms to you that they shall not overflow you. You hear that? So it's not that only that God will be with you in the waters, but he says, but they also shall not overflow you. He does not only promise that he shall be with you through the fire, but he also promises his manifestation will not let that fire burn you. The assurance of his presence will preserve you in the times that you're going through. So it's one thing to go through fire with God. It's another to go through fire and that fire does not burn you. It's one thing to say, I've gone through these waters with God, but it's another when you go through waters and they do not overflow you. That's the assurance of God's presence because it undergirds the place the fire is supposed to burn. It upholds and protects you in the place where you're supposed to be overflown. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. So number one, because of humility of spirit, we have the assurance of his presence. Number two, Psalms 138 verse 6, he says, For though the Lord is high, yet he has respect to the lowly, which is the humble. Give me the amplified of that. For though the Lord is high, yet he has respect to the lowly. Listen, bringing them into fellowship with him. But the proud and haughty he knows and recognizes only at a distance. In other words, not only has he promised his assured presence in the first point, but in the second point also, he has committed to have fellowship with you. Are you hearing me? Oh, let me explain the difference. When you are dealing, for example, with somebody who is in a coma, right? Somebody's in a coma, they're sick in the hospital, they're in a coma. You're present with them. That's your presence. You are present with them. But you're not communicating. You're not communing with them. You're not fellowshipping with them. Because they're not talking back to you. You see that? 
But if you're sitting with somebody who is normal and they're talking to you and you're talking back to them, that's fellowship, that's communion. There's a difference. So the presence of God to operate and work on our lives assured is a wonderful thing because of the humility of the Spirit. But to be invited even in the place of fellowship, it means that the secret of God is with you. Job speaks of the days when the secret of God was with him. He says, I was in the days of my youth when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. If I can give you a simple analogy of this. When talking about having the secret of God with you, there are things that are known to your spirit even before they are made known to the world of men, albeit they might not be in the place of your full interpretation of understanding, but they do exist in the language of the spirit inside you. That the day of their manifestation, even though they are new, and I'm not just talking about the events of life. No. I'm talking about the things that drop from heaven, the graces, the manifestations, the flames of revival, the fires, you know, that consume and take over nations and change generations. When the move of God comes, when the scrolls, when the seals of heaven are open, there is that confirmation in your spirit that sort of arranges all things to appear not new to you. Like a scribe which is instructed in the kingdom. The Bible says, for out of him flow both the new and the old in his household. The beauty of that is that when the move of God comes, you are acquainted. There is a confirmation in your spirit of that affirmed experience. Or there was an affirmation in your spirit of that confirmed manifestation. When we say that there is nothing new under the sun... It does not mean that everybody is in the experience of that reality. But when the secret of God is with you, the discernment of God is so awakened on your life that when a thing done or spoken by God comes in its own timing, the appointed times of the Spirit, you're not only acquainted with it, but you are a partaker of what God is doing in the present day. That's the secret of God with a man. The ways of God are not hidden. Let me give you an example. One time one of our ministers brought me a very wonderful video of a young man who was doing miracles on television and wonders and signs and he was doing quite amazing things. And when he showed me that video, he said, Papa, if God is moving, look at what God is doing through this fellow. And I looked at that video and I told him, give that guy three years. You're not going to hear him anywhere. And the guy said, so later he tells me he was so disappointed because when he watched this guy, he could not even sleep because of the operation of the power of God on that man's life. But I told him, watch that guy in three years, you're not going to hear his name anywhere. And so after two or three years, something happened to this young man and he was never heard of. And so this man comes back, Prime Minister, says, you told me three years ago about this thing, and I've seen it come to pass. What was it? When the secret of God is with you, you can easily discern the move of the Spirit. Easily. Not all locusts face the same direction when the wind is blowing. Are you hearing me? Not all locusts. So it's okay to fly through the wind, but you're blown from a different direction. And by the time you turn, 
The one which was already ready has seen and knows what's happening. When the secret of God is with you, it is easy for you to discern when God is doing something. Somebody shout hallelujah. I could discern in my spirit that this was not the voice of that hour. But this person needed time to know that this is not actually how God moves. I know the difference because I know how God moves. When I tell people that I saw God, it's hard to explain it. It's hard to explain it. Because not many people are able to hear God. Not many people are able to hear God. Not many people are able to hear God. And so when you hear shakings or sometimes things that are coming, some of those things, to some people they are new, they are scared, oh, how could this be? No. But you see, when you understand how God works, you will look at a person once and know that they are of God or they are not. You will look at somebody and see 10, 20 years, not because you're just a prophet, but the secret with God is enough with you to even be able to foil time and space to eternal purpose, to be able to see 10, 15, 30 years of something and understand that the foundation of this thing is not going to go anywhere. That's called discernment. That's called discernment. I've read history, church history, and I've been graced to tell why certain things live longer than others. That's the secret of God with you. That's the secret of God with you. It ain't mean that we don't have imperfections. No. We will have our weaknesses. As we are a work in progress, God will be dealing with us. But at least we'll be aligned to the true north. Anything can be hid from you as a child of God, but not truth. Not truth. Because see, it's the only reason why you will be made free. And every representation of struggle and strife or things that have failed to release or let go of you, it's as a result of the truth that you do not behold. It's beyond the words that are written or spoken by these men who wrote. Can you believe that the church of Jesus Christ has stood only by letters Paul wrote? But how many of them are able to discern what Paul taught? More than just the letters he wrote to these churches. What were the rest of the sermons? If Paul existed in a time where every sermon of his would be recorded, just imagine how much information would be available. And whoever told you that we are called to stay on the foundation of Paul? No, we are called to build on that foundation. And so you are supposed to know more than Paul could. Like your children will know more than you did. From glory to glory, it's the way of life. It's the law of the spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. When a secret of God is with you, you design seasons. You design times. You design moves. You design gates. You design doors. You design the flow of the spirit. You know how to position yourself and align yourself. That is why many of you are watching me. It's so amazing that many times or several times some of you, there are people who live in the realm where you study something and that very Sunday or weekend, I'm preaching exactly what you are studying that week. You see? But there's something in there. Why? Because you're even led to study. So why am I sharing about the very thing that your spirit has been connected to? And the world in the spirit realm reconciles with many people that you might never be able to meet or even understand. But reconciles and then you'll understand how God sends his messages in their seasons and times. 
It takes the secret of God to be consistent in that instruction. Not the few days when it works, so it doesn't work. Somebody shout hallelujah. But because of humility of spirit, he says that I will create fellowship with you. Somebody shout hallelujah. The third, in James chapter 4, the sixth verse, he says, he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. But he repeats again, but giveth grace unto the humble. When the Bible says, grow ye in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we grow in grace? How do we grow in grace? By humbling ourselves. By humbling ourselves. So when he tells us here in James that he giveth more grace to the humble, it means if you know how to humble your spirit, you don't worry about the multiplication of grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But how is the multiplication of grace upon your life? The multiplication of grace upon your life is defined through the experiences that you have in your humility with God. Somebody shout hallelujah. The fourth, the Bible speaks of James again, the fourth chapter. If we go down to the 10th verse, he tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that he might lift us up. Every lifting is of God. And it only happens when a man knows how to humble themselves. I've had people quote scriptures in Job 22, 29. When people say that there is a casting down, then you shall say that there is a lifting up and then they end there and scream. But the next line says, he shall save the humble. That portion of scripture is for humble men. It's not for proud spirits. That portion of scripture is for humble men. It's not for proud spirits. The lifting of God. What does it mean to be lifted? The exaltation of God, it's when God starts to place you in places of affluence and prosperity. Somebody shout hallelujah. Of affluence and prosperity. The highest summit of affluence and prosperity. That's exaltation. That's the lifting of God. You're a prosperous man. You're a prosperous woman. You're an affluent person. That's the humility of God. When you learn how to humble yourself, you never worry about prosperity. The fifth and last is honor. Not all the prosperous are honored or are honorable. But the Bible says in Proverbs, the 29th chapter, the 23rd verse, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So not only does he want to give you the uplifting of the spirit, but he wants to create a certain honor for you. What do I mean by honor? It's one thing when you work to be honored. It's one thing when you strive to be honored. It's one thing when you impose to be honored. It's one thing when you manipulate yourself, so men will honor you. I've had men who tell people, if you honor me, this will happen. You see, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's something about God putting a genuine fear and respect upon your life that you have not sought from a man or commanded or manipulated your way around for yourself. But when they stand before you, they are less. And not because they don't have, but because they see that what's upon your life speaks of a higher grace than what operates on their individual life. 
That is called the honor of God. And God says, when you learn to humble yourself, I will uphold you in honor. I'll uphold you in honor. People will serve you. People will bless you. People will love you. People will seek to do good to you. People will never introduce you less. They will never address you less. And not because you're fighting for that position. <laughs> Pastor. No, 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 no. Call me bishop. Call me prophet. No, no, no. Apostle. Call me the apostle. You understand? No, 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 no. If they call you anything, and then you fight for it, you have not yet understood how the honor of God comes. God is the one to introduce you. I've been in places where, like you go in America, for example, you get on the pulpit and say, oh, we have a brother from Africa, it's called Brother Grace. He has a few words to share with us. Let's invite him. They don't know you. You preach for 10, 20, 30 minutes. By the time you enter that room, you're no longer Brother Grace. Oh, glory. You're no longer Brother Grace. Mare bro delekete. The next time you get, man of God, man of God, man of God, man of God, apostle. Some of them call you prophet. Some of them don't know what to call you. Why? Because it's God who has put something on your life. Tell your neighbor, let God do it. Don't do it for yourself. Don't seek it. Let it find you. Because if it does, it comes with a certain glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. It's amazing when God honors you. I've entered airports and I've been honored. I've entered places and I've been honored. I've been to places you're traveling and somebody comes from nowhere and says, I need to carry everything of yours. I can't let you carry anything. You don't know them. You've never met them. Because I'm not the kind of person who say, who do you know to carry for me? No, I'm not that kind of man. If you know me, you know very well. You know, somebody one time said, you know, in Fanero, people don't own Apostle Grace like we own our man of God. And I told him, look, the people I have could even have carried the plane that I sit into. So they do, they do. Are you hearing me? I just flee away from certain glories deliberately. But the people I have could have even carried the plane if they have to. I just don't call a certain attention. So understand me here. Why? Because God has not called you to seek it. God has called you to stay away and allow it to come to you. When you do, it will come in the time you need it most. And when it comes that way, you'll never create an idol of yourself. Because I've seen people who through honor have become God. And the rest of the people are people. Are you following what I'm saying? These things belong to the wise. Jesus knew the power of humility. In his own words, he says, take you of my yoke, for it is light. For I am meek. And lowly in heart. That's my heart. This is Jesus. He says, my heart is meek and lowly. He says, take you of my yoke, for my yoke is light. Because when a man understands the humility of spirit, your yoke becomes so light. God frees you from the spirit of struggle and strife. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, a broken and contrite spirit, I shall by no means cast away. 
I want to finish this way. It's hard to humble when certain degrees of God's presence are not revealed to you. And those degrees of presence can only be revealed to you when you come to the knowledge of God. Otherwise, you'll be casting power to swine. God doesn't do it. He elevates and exposes. He elevates and exposes. Somebody shout hallelujah. He elevates and exposes. Because they want to give you more than you are able to take. You'd abuse it. You'd even turn against him. In my earlier years of ministry, I didn't know how much or how to give. Sometimes I would share things and I find myself that I've not helped or perhaps I've even torn or destroyed. Not because I've not preached truth, but they were not able to take it when I said it. Now, over the years, I learned wisdom. I'll rather in love speak the simplicity to get the salvation of a man than the knowledge that should puff me up because it's progressive. Epignosis, the advance, the complete and precise knowledge of God in Christ helps you see the end and allows you to walk the journey with that individual. You will never see the presence of God that you so desire to see until you learn how to break before God. When you humble yourself before God, when you break before God, when you hear revivalists like uh, Evan Roberts and the rest telling God, break me, kill me, Catherine Coolings, they're saying the same thing. Break me, kill me. They are speaking something there. Because nobody can really be used by God except they are broken. Because that brokenness, that humility, is the death with which we die in Christ. That we might truly live in the life of Jesus. Somebody raise your voice right now and start speaking to God. You are wonderful. Speak to God. You are worthy, O oh Lord. You are wonderful. You are worthy. Help me quiet. God break us, humble us, kill us, that we might leave prepared, strengthened, and directed in heart for what you have prepared.
for our journeys, for our destinies, for our story in life. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. The sick are getting healed right now. The bound are setting free. Mention your need now. God is answering. Now, mention it. Mention it. And it's answered in Jesus' name. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, tell him, confess right now, I thank you. Because you died, for my sins and was raised for my glory say I'm born again I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International for more information contact us on telephone number 041 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.